We are a group of friends bound by our appreciation for liberty and good podcasting. Free-minded thinkers from all walks of life, our values come together with one accord to discuss the common culture and news of the day, along with whatever random crap is going on in our lives. Welcome to the Union of the Unknowns. Welcome to another episode of the Union of the Unknowns. With me today, I have my unknown pal, Stella. Hey, Stella. Hey, always good to see you, Ashley. You too. Thank you for joining us. And we have a very special guest, TC from Minnesota Black Robe Regiment Podcast. Welcome, TC. Thank you for joining us. Well, th- hey. thanks for having me on. I'm, I'm, I'm not used to being on the introduction end of things, and so it's always interesting to hear what other people have to say about you. So, thanks. That was, I was. Normally, it's oh, it's him again. <laughs> Well, on this show, yeah, we actually like our guests here, so we're happy to have you, and we appreciate your time. <laughs> oh, well, thank no, thanks again for doing this. I the first time when I reached out to to you, I was trying to collab and get your whole crew together because I think you guys have what like seventy five hosts, something like that. Yeah, it's several. <laughs> yeah, still, it's several. That's the polite Aussie way of telling everyone quite a few that's the stats well and the thing is too is that it's very hard with this many people to have people be available at the same time i'm finding Mm. um you know especially for the folks that are like full-time job and they got kids and all that stuff Uh, you know how it goes it's it's difficult so um it's a bit like having a band and trying to get rehearsals in you know yeah I mean, available at the same time. Especially when your band's not going anywhere, and you're trying to—that's <laughs> the only kind it, of band I've actually, ever been in. <laughs> actually, have to have a job to be able to fund your band, and that's it. That's it. So, yeah. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. I do want to have you just so we're going to get into the real issue of like what we connected over, your story, what led you to this point. But before we do that, I do want to let people know what you have out there, where they sure. can find you, because you have been producing quite a bit of content, um, a lot of folks in the with a lot of folks in the Liberty community. So I just want to make sure that yeah. we um, that we touch on that first. Well, the, the easiest place to find me uh, still, strangely enough, is YouTube. So you can find me at Minnesota Black Robe Regiment um, on YouTube. You can also find me same thing, Minnesota Black Robe Regiment on Rumble. You will find that my Rumble is not quite as active because I keep my Rumble. Um, I've tried to do both at it with the same content. And I found out that Rumble, I'm not getting the traction on Rumble with the doing the same types of content. So I take a lot of my not safe for YouTube content over to Rumble. And that actually has, I have a a series I do over there with a, a co-host that's called Behind the Curtain, and that we really delve into uh, the COVID protocols and the death sentence that those are to uh, and continue to be. And people aren't realizing this that they're still using the same COVID protocols. And so my co-host there is uh, Dana, and 
her mother was killed by the COVID protocols going on two years ago. And uh, she and I interview people and talk about uh, who have lost family members or who have gone in and experienced the COVID protocols and have been fortunate enough to survive. And so we, one of the very first episodes I did was sitting down with Dana and talking to her about her experience with her mom when her mom was murdered in um, Florida in a hospital. And so when everybody talks about how wonderful and safe Florida is because DeSantis has done such a wonderful job, I'm like, no, <laughs> folks, Florida is still a nightmare because the hospitals are doing whatever they want down there. And I think Dana would be a great conversation for you guys, by the way. I'd love to see you guys sit down and, and talk with her because she has a really powerful story to tell and she has documentation showing exactly what was done to her mother, Rebecca. So plug, I'm, I'm on here supposed to be plugging me and now I'm plugging <laughs> my co my co-host too. Um, oh, good for you though. I think that's, um, that's an excellent podcast to be doing. Yeah. That's an excellent gap to fill and um, yeah. Brilliant. I'm going to be definitely listening to that one. Yep. Well, same. And I know that our other teammate, Terry will be, beyond fascinated. He has been yeah, the true. most tuned in to the COVID protocol, to the death protocol assigned to people at the hospitals mm. uh, of just about anybody. Yes. It, her, her story and, you know, and what they did to Dana's mom, to Rebecca is just, it's, um, it's mind blowing and eye opening. And I'm not one of those people who, and, and no, no offense to anyone who's dug into this, but you know, I did, I did have, um, I did a video breakdown of Stu Peters, um, video with Brian Artis, um, called watch the water. And I pointed out some things that I, that I personally believe they did really wrong that they were just it, so much conjecture and so much subjective, um, personal takes on things and some very poor handling of, of biblical um, passages to kind of build their point on some stuff. And I uh, did a breakdown of that. And then I still managed to land an interview with Brian Artis. And that's pretty amazing. Uh, and I told him up front that I, you know, I was pretty hard on watch the water and I still was able to, to, get Brian Artis on for an episode. And so you should be able to find that on both my YouTube and, and uh, it's one thing to recognize that those protocols, the death protocols, really, I, I call them, you know, death assignments because they determine as soon as you come in, whether or not you're going to survive. It, it's one thing to look at those and recognize those things and see them as a reality. And it's another thing altogether to go through and hyper sensationalize that stuff to the point where you're talking about, we're trying to turn, they're trying to turn people into demons. What? <laughs> right. And so that was where I, you know, I took some exception and, and I took some heat for that. And I mean, but that's been the history of my entire show has been, I've taken a lot of heat from, from day one and, uh, for having your own opinion, do you mean, well, because of your opinion, 
because of my opinion, but also because of the career that I had when I started this, I was, you know, very, very outspoken. Um, I mean, I launched my channel on YouTube on the morning of April 25th of 2020, which was a Saturday morning. I was going to go and attend a anti-lockdown protest. I mean, let's, I mean, they, tra they keep trying to call it, they kept trying to call them rallies. I'm like, folks, it's a protest. It's okay to say protest. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. Before you get into that, okay, I'm, I, I'm, I just, that, no, this is your show. Like, you run it. Well, I, I want to get You're there. You're doing a good job. <laughs> I, I want to get there, but I also want to cover what else you talk about on your channels. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then we're going to get into what led you here. You have to do what the teacher says. Folks. Um, <laughs> You'd be a good boy now. <laughs> so yeah, I, I cover uh, everything from local politics. Uh, I recently uh, started going to, I, I'm a think local, act local person, and I compel people to think local and act local. I've been so busy doing that that I haven't been thinking locally and acting locally. So I've just now started attending my own city council meetings, and uh, I plan on speaking in every one of them during public comments and recording that and putting that content up. I have. Can I can I, can I stop ahead. you there and just ask you? Okay, there's a couple of things there. How how did you feel about walking into, you know, starting, like, were you that kind of guy to start with? Because I'm just coming from like, from my point of view, I'm not that kind of person, but I'm starting to feel like I should be. So um, how did you feel about sort of walking in and making yourself known, basically putting the spotlight on you? Um, I mean, you have to be brave, obviously, this is going to take courage. Uh, I, I don't know about that. <laughs> Well, I mean, it does. I mean, you are putting the spotlight on you. As soon as you stand up and say anything, I mean, even just having this podcast, we're putting the spotlight on ourselves. So sure. to do it locally is another thing. I mean, I'm in a fairly small town. so. Um, oh, so, trust me. I, I know the feeling. I'm a city. Right. I'm the largest city in my county and we're only 2,700 people. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty small <laughs> town in my books. Um, so yeah. How, how did you feel about doing that? Was that like a fairly big decision to then go forward and do that or was it just a natural progression it, the next step it was a needed step to to uh, remove myself from the camp of hypocrisy yeah okay yep <laughs> and uh, but it yeah. was nerve-wracking um and it, it it's funny because i got some feedback through kind of the grapevine after i went and somebody somebody had reported to someone else that, Hey, I saw that TC was at the city council meeting and he spoke the other day. Doesn't he know he's getting played? And I'm like, he's, he's just, so-and-so is just using him as a tool. And I'm like, you clearly have not been paying any attention to me. If you think, and this is going to sound so arrogant and I don't mean it to, but if you think that I'm going to get played by a local politician and be their mouthpiece, if you, you know, if I show up and, you think anybody on that city council is going to outwit me. And I, I know it sounds arrogant, but I mean, the last several years have been me going literally toe to toe um, in my content and in my appearances at other, you know, school board meetings and other communities, you know, calling out county commissioners, county commission meetings, county board meetings, city council meetings, calling these people out and going to toe to toe with them. It, this is just a natural progression. And so right. it was nerve, it was nerve wracking in the sense of I am now putting myself in, in a, 
in the spotlight, like you said, Stella, but I'm actually painting a really big target on myself because now all of a sudden, if I go and say something where I call out the city council or the mayor for something that I believe they're doing wrong, which is in, in this case, the this first meeting I went to, I called out the fact that I applauded uh, the former city administrator who stepped down from the position of city administrator to be just a city clerk, took a pay cut kept all of the, her responsibilities as city administrator while people she's supervising were coming in and asking for big raises. Mm -hmm. And in one case, the guy who asked, one of the guys that asked for a big raise had a family member on the city council who made the motion to grant him his pay raise. Mm -hmm. And I called him out in the meeting and I said, that's at, at best, that's a bad look. At worst, that's incredibly unethical and should not have happened. And you could have heard a, heard a pin drop because the, the the department head was standing literally at a counter across the room from me when I said it. And mm -hmm. they're probably not used to receiving that kind of pushback either, uh, especially in person. Now, I, I do So that's wanna... one thing that I do. And yes. So, and so then I also have a series I called Libertarian Lowdown. And as many of you know... Um, our, the pod mother, I think that's what we affectionately refer to her as, is yes. Monica, Monica Clark, <laughs> the, pod, Monica. the pod mother. Um, Monica, I had Monica on. I've had uh, my very first guest for Liberty Lowdown, um, what, or Libertarian Lowdown, was uh, Spike Cohn. I have had Mike Termont on. I've had uh, Scott Horton. I've had uh, local libertarians, a, a young lady uh, in Minnesota who was running for uh school board or some such and now she's vice chair of the libertarian party in the state of minnesota uh her mate rebecca whiting i've so i've had people across the spectrum from you know local kind of no you know unknowns you know people would say nobodies in that sense to you know people like clint russell and and others and i'm just trying to expose my audience to libertarian thought because i'm in that weird camp where i'm kind of a paleo conservative paleo libertarian and so i want people to see that the libertarian party as a whole isn't the caricatures that they perceive with you know supreme vermin shoe on you know shoe on head and and some of the you know kind of the more whacked out weird you know uh yeah anyway so i'm just trying to expose people to that and then uh i also do a show called navigating the north woods which is kind of a, a show that's targeted towards delving into the the scope and intent and impact of legislation here in Minnesota, but also at the federal level on the entire country and the, and what it you really are seeing with that. And so if you look at uh, the TikTok legislation that they were trying to pass, where they were going to try and ban TikTok in the United States, it and so many, you know, conservative liberty types were, you know, the Heritage Foundation was on board with that. Um, libs of TikTok was on board with it and i'm like you folks are crazy because if you look deeply into that there was so much there like using a vpn could get you thrown in prison so we that's kind of the focus of where uh, was that where uh it was i want to say it was it was january or february of this year where that really started to hit at the federal level yeah whereabouts was the vpn in prison thing in that legislation, in it that was here legislation, in the states. yeah, here, here in the states, in that legislation, had it oh, passed, right. okay, yeah. it would have provided a, it would have provided for 
charging someone with a federal crime for using a VPN to mask your location. Yeah, I I, I did hear some whispers about that. So are you saying that that's actually legislation now or is that still just proposed? It was proposed. I do not... it was called the Restrict Act, and then they, you know, it was euphemistically referred to as a TikTok Act because that's what they were trying to use to get people to be on board with it. You know, right. passing was here. We're just protecting you from TikTok, that evil Chinese platform. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, no, this is bad legislation. This is really bad legislation. And it's always under protection, isn't it? It's always it's under always, protection always, of yeah. you know you, your health children, animals, Safety. the elderly, the yeah. handicapped. Yeah, it's so cowardly. It's so cowardly. They just, they're the sort of, you know, if you can imagine someone hiding behind a grandmother when, you know, in a firing squad or something, that's what I always see, or hiding behind a baby. A baby. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was going to say. Exactly. Um, and so then I also have a Monday night show, a pretty regular show that I do. It's called Monday Night Musings, and then I bring people on from all, all perspectives. Um, just a couple of weeks ago, I had a guy on who we got into it over um, law enforcement. Um, he was kind of the back to blue at all cost type, and I was going, "No, we, are, we, we have to stop just blindly being, you know, back to blue." And we got into it on the comments section of some a couple of short videos that i put up on my youtube channel and i just finally invited him on i said hey let's you know put your money where your mouth is come on you know come on my platform and let's hash this out and you know to his credit he came on and we hashed it out and we walked away friends that's awesome i've noticed that a a few times lately actually people are meeting the challenge of of instead of just the echo chamber they're actually having some really healthy debates and um it's just out of respect you know for each other and each other's opinions etc but I, I've I been trying for as well. I've been trying Stella for from the inception of my channel to get people when they come on and they you know they want to uh, you know argue with me or tell me I'm crazy or whatever the case might be I'm like come on yeah C- come on and yeah let's have a conversation let's have a conversation a debate yeah and, let's take the anonymity out of it as I well. could I could take away the 100 percent and now just say about 99 percent of the time I get you're not worth my time. You're too stupid. You're Dunning Kruger. You're you're a person who's a perfect example of Dunning Kruger. You know, you're you're not to my level. I don't have the time for this. I'm like, well, you just spent three and a half hours arguing with me in the comment section. So you're in my comments. Don't tell me you don't have the time. And, And what it is, it's just so easy for people to come on and say, you're stupid, you're subjective, you're idiotic, you're illogical. And that's, not, that's cop it, out mode. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm like, come on. And he did. And we found out we had a lot more in common than we, we disagreed on. Great. And it's like uh, a bridge built. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And the other thing about that is that, Hey, no matter where this guy lands, it's still a, seeds were planted of thinking about things in a different way from his perspective. And, um, it's probably a two way street there. Yeah. And you never know where this guy's going to come out on this because like, if I had to guess if he truly had a good faith conversation with you, then he's going to be thinking and mulling this stuff over. And he's probably going to realize that you had some good points. Um, I would, I I would hope that I I'm willing to have my mind changed most of the time, but some, most of the time when I'm, when I go to put content out, I've already like dug into this is going to there again, sound really cocky, but I've dug into it so much when I go to put content out that I'm, it, it's going to take some pretty 
it would take some pretty momentous evidence or information for me to go, you know what? I'm totally wrong about that. And yeah, there's nothing well, there's nothing wrong with claiming the fact that you do some research and you've you've got some confidence. There's absolutely I think that's great journalism personally. But um yeah. I think it probably works a, a two-way street in the sense of um I'm not really talking about, you know, maybe your minds being changed, but it's certainly healthy to be able to talk to people coming from another perspective because oh, for sure. sometimes we don't understand why they have that perspective or their reasoning behind something and it's like we need to expand all the time as well, you know. I mean, we're never going to get to a point where we know everything, or we, you know, we're definitely right about everything, of course. So, um, I think, yeah, I, I just think it's. I really welcome these healthy debates. I think it's awesome to see finally. Well, we <laughs> exist in echo chambers. We really, we, we really do. do. We, yeah, we it's just very frustrating. Com- completely exist in echo chambers, and and I don't. And, and here's what you. No, not at all. And and here's the the thing that I don't think people understand is. It's not just the left. So I know that most of us here are not leftist and, and we, you know, we may not all see perfectly eye to eye on every single issue down the road. But when you talk to the average, and I, I coined the phrase normicons back in the early days of my show, <laughs> uh, they think they're conservative because they were raised conservative, you know, are they churchgoers or they're uh, programmed or they have all the right, you know, conservative views. And I'm like, well, are your views one? Are they conservative, really conservative? Are they liberty minded? Oh, well, I'm a Republican. Well, are Republicans really conservative? You know, those kind of things. But the first thing they'll do is they'll say that, oh, look at the left. They're all, they're, they all get together and they all have the same thoughts and, and, and they're all on these talking points. And when you ask them a question about the subject that they're, they believe in, they give you the exact same answer every time, every single one of them. And I'm like, have you heard yourself? Right. Like you literally do that. You, exact you, same thing. Exactly. You literally do that. And we had, I had a really good example of that. And a governor, uh, gubernatorial candidate here in Minnesota is a guy named Scott Jensen. He is a medical doctor who was just under the gun here in Minnesota during COVID. And everybody loved him because he was out there standing up, calling out the lockdowns, calling out, you know, the jab, calling out the, the protocols and all of that. Ran for governor. People got behind him. They did a really poor job with the campaign and he lost. Well, early, uh, early, late spring, early summer, he did an event in Rochester, Minnesota, which is about 30 miles away from where I live. And I was asked to go cover it. And so I went and covered it. And in the middle of the event, he said, it's time for the Republicans to stop just leaning on conservatism as their base and say that, well, I'm a Republican, so I'm conservative. He said, we really need to be constitutionalist. And that means we're going to have to really rethink abortion as a litmus test for our candidates because popular not popularity polls are showing that even conservatives are not looking at abortion as a litmus test for who a good candidate is anymore he and he's he said am i excited about roe v wade being turned over and i'm paraphrasing obviously i'm far more eloquent uh speech that he was giving and he said sure but when we make banning it at the national level or automatically banning like you want your gubernatorial candidate to say they're going to ban abortion in your state you're never going to win because you're making it the 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 primary topic of why or or reason why this person's running for office and the crowd turned on him they turned on him Wow. Because people don't want to hear anything that they don't agree with. They don't even want to consider it or think about it. Well, um, 
I'll, I'll what, say it's worse. It's worse than that. It's because the anti-abortion crowd, and I, I, I actually, after listening to people go off on him uh, for a while, I stood up and I, I introduced myself and I said, Scott, I know you don't know me, but you and I have had some disagreements, which caused a laugh because he goes, "You're right, I don't know you," <laughs> but we, but I, I looked at the crowd and I said, "He's right about this. He's, he's absolutely right about this. There are there. I'm an abolitionist." When it comes to abortion, I despise abortion, but I am not going to hold it up as if you don't see exactly what I want as the only answer to abortion, then I can't support you. We're we're gonna we're gonna continue to lose elections. I said we have to really get back to it and recognize that it is a state rights issue, but that ultimately you can make all the laws in the world you want about abortion, and it's not gonna stop a single abortion. Not not a single. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to stop a single one. And people people's you know response to that is is well, murder doesn't stop mur murder laws don't stop murder. I'm like, wow, that is the most reductionist, stupid response you can you know you can give. And what really is happening in that situation? It's the echo chamber, but it's also laziness because people want to say they're against abortion, but they don't want to do the legwork. They don't want to show up at abortion clinics to do you know sidewalk ministry sidewalk counseling they don't want to look like a radical to their friends when their friends going hey you want to go out for coffee tomorrow morning no i'm driving to the local abortion mill to ask women to not murder their babies you do that you know that's what it is that they they hate abortion and they love being pro-life and they demand pro-life candidates who want to ban abortion but they don't want to actually do the work that it takes to stop abortion and that means going out and loving the people who are in a bad position, who who don't necessarily know better, or feel like they don't have any other options, and yeah, that's exactly right. It's it's like trying to give one pill for everybody because of a certain condition. It's, it's you can't. Every situation is completely different, and I and I do you know there's there's so many people out there who don't think about what they're saying in the sense of, uh, I just see thought patterns now as, as waves of almost like fashion. Um, it, it, just imagine voting for somebody who has, you know, a thought about a certain thing today. Are they allowed to change their mind at any point? Um, no, no, as, no. As, <laughs> they are not. I'll tell you right now, Stella, changing your me. mind, <laughs> changing your mind on something that you've thought for years is not allowed because that means everyone around you might be wrong. Well, I mean, I, I know, but I, I sort of rhetorically, you know, but um, I, I guess what I'm saying is there's a lot of people out there who just follow, you know, it's like the little dog is just always on the, the big dog, the winning dog's side, you know what I mean? Like the third dog, <laughs> that's a dumb analogy. But, you know, the people who just follow because that's the thing to think and because yep. they have coffee with their friends who talk about that. So that must be yep. what they think too. And, they, you know, what you're doing, I guess, is getting people to question what they're thinking, which is definitely missing. I don't know how that happened, but somehow critical thinking was went missing somewhere. It's out to lunch. It's gone fishing. And um, we need to sort of bring that back um, and build those bridges again, because that's the thing is snapping people out. You know, they might think they're awake or whatever, but they've just been diverted into another vessel of thinking. You know, it's, it's like, I get, again, it's a fashion next week when their friends change their mind, they'll change their mind too. So we have to point this out to them because they don't even, when I say they, there's a large portion of people who don't even question what they're thinking. Um, they, if you ask them about it, they don't know how to answer the question. So 
Yeah. That, that and, I think is part of what our job is, I guess, as podcasters. I, I wanted to chime in quickly on our uh, touching on having the debate with people. One of the things I wanted to say was that when you're having a debate with someone and like, am I questioning where I'm coming from based on what they're saying? It would depend on the subject matter because I have often already been as a previous normie where they're at. So I already have thought what you thought. And I, I now re realize and recognize that I did that from a place of ignorance, from a place of not asking questions, from a place of not asking uh, or not thinking critically about what is actually transpiring here. And the other thing that I wanted to say was uh, it, it almost reminds me of in dealing with the conservatives of what Michael Malice has said is that conservatism is progressivism driving the speed limit because it keeps getting moved and moved and moved and moved and moved. And that seems intentional to me. So it's like, what it's are you the actually the Overton window? Yeah. And what yeah. are you actually conserving? And as Stella said, are you allowed to change your mind? Well, that's the whole point of, of being here is that you get new information and then you think and then you apply that information and you change your mind. That's what learning and growing is, you know? Yeah, and the population itself sort of has to grow up a little bit and stop being led and just looking to, you know, a person or a thing or what have you for the answer. It's like, well, why don't you stop and weigh it up yourself? You know, this is what I'm trying to say. And, and you put it well, Ashley. I mean, I think part of it is sort of like trying to, as an adult, trying to stay in touch with the child within. It's like we have to remember as well, which just gets really hard to do because we're so far down the track now and this is just our normal way of thinking. We kind of forget that normies just have no freaking idea. They don't, they've never even heard of the WEF or Klaus Schwab or any of those, yeah. that crew, you know what I mean? So yep. we, it is really important and it's difficult to try to stay in touch with the, the unknown I don't even know what to call them. The normie. What did you call them, TC? Normie cons. The normie cons. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. We, will, we and, all know at least one. And the example uh, of what TC was talking about of getting, or, or excuse me, Stella, what is fashionable. For example, the left used to be anti-war, but yeah. now they are all about supporting, sending hundreds of millions of dollars, billions of dollars from the United States to fund a proxy war, and they have no qualms about it. Yeah, and aliens um, were for crazies. Yes. Okay. But having said all of that, we have not even gotten into the crux, the reason that this episode is here, the reason that you are where you are, TC. So if you don't mind... I yeah. want to hear didn't the we, story. Didn't we say this was going to happen? We, in, in the in the lead up to this, we had this all mapped out that the map was going to go far afield. So, yes, and this is me. This is me trying to get us back on track. So, round. <laughs> it's like herding cats, people. But <laughs> so, tell us. Uh, you know, I want to know your story and I know it is uh, quite involved and we don't have to go all the way down the rabbit hole because as we discussed before, we probably are going to want to do more than one episode on this. But why don't you start with telling us how you got where you're at? Oh, gosh. How far back? Uh, no, I was I was raised in that kind of that normie con perspective. But ironically, I really didn't, I had no idea who my parents were politically. 
Uh, it was one of those, we, we, we didn't talk about it. It was, well, you know, the old saw of there's two things you never discuss in, in polite company, you know, politics and religion. We could talk religion, but we never really talked politics. And I, I kind of knew where my parents stood on certain issues, uh, but I saw more as moral issues. And uh, so I was, but I was also raised with this kind of this very strong pro-America, ironically, an American, um, the pro-America perspective of, you know, back law enforcement, pro-military, uh, you, you just name it. Every liberty, patriotic, loving perspective you could have, I was on board with it. I went through a really brief phase of being, you know, in, in high school, being, you know, like kind of that uh, angsty anti, you know, war person. I, I had a room in the basement that was kind of mine where I hung out with my friends and I hung sheets on the walls and I, you know, would spray, spray things, spray paint things on there and make art like, you know, hell no, we won't glow. I was very, uh, John Lennon posters everywhere. I would, well, I no, I never liked Lennon. Oh, okay. Fair enough. But <laughs> oops. I, no, I would just never, you know, I was more of a Floyd kind of pink Floyd kind of guy, but, uh, oh, fair enough. Uh, I just, it didn't mean anything to me, you know, it just was, it was just kind of my way of not being what everybody else around me was. And, um, then I, I you know, I got out of that and got into college, ended up, um, having a scholarship to a private school for cross country and track and then transferred out to the university of Montana, realized I, I was not prepared for college because I got through high school without studying. And folks, if you can get through high school without studying, college is going to kick your ass. And that's what happened. So I ended up joining, uh, enlisting in the Army, joined joined the Army, became a paratrooper. I was with the 82nd Airborne Division. Um, and it was while I was in the military, specifically because we went into the first Gulf War, I'm like, I'm watching all these people at the University of Montana out there protesting and I'm like, they're, you know, peeing on the flag and burning the flag and harassing ROTC students. And like, that really pissed me off. So I'm like, well, I'm just going to go join. So I'm going to go join to go to war. I like, you know, because Iraq bad and they're foreigners. So, you know, who cares if we kill them? And I was halfway through basic training and the war was over and they announced that to us. And I'm like, well, now I'm stuck. And... <laughs> So I, I was in my career in the military and I started to realize things weren't what we thought they were when we got orders, when I was at Fort Bragg, we were going to go invade, uh, Haiti for operation restore democracy. What year was this roughly? Uh, operation restore if democracy would have been 94. Okay. If I remember correctly, 94. 94 95 yep. and it was right after the the mogadishu fiasco in somalia where we had you know the 17 service members including you know special operations aviation regiment pilots were killed and uh, a couple of delta team members were killed and some rangers were killed and i remember even being at that going why were we even there why like, that country didn't need us. We actually screwed it up. And I'm watching this and I got in trouble actually 
because when the news broke about the uh, Black Hawk Down incident, I was trying to go eat at Taco Bell with my buddy. We met pretty much two, three times a week and we'd go to Taco Bell and eat and we were trying to get in line and it was taking us forever to get in because there was a news crew that was trying to get everybody to talk and wanting to know how we felt because we, these, some of these people were from Fort Bragg. They were from the airborne community. They were, you know, uh, Delta guys and Delta was headquartered at Fort Bragg and I had lost my temper with the news crew and they asked me. Specialist Pearson, what are your views on this? I said, you want to know what's really wrong? One, we shouldn't have been there. And two, President Clinton is a murderer. Because they asked for armored support to go to go into the do this operation to arrest Adid, Muhammad Adid. And Clinton told him, no, it's good. It would look bad in the world, in the world's perspective. And the next morning I walked in for PT and everybody's sitting in the day room watching me on the news and all I heard was, Pearson, get your ass oh in the old man's <laughs> office right now. Oh and boy. Uh, I got chewed out by the the oh. my captain of my unit for what I said. And I, I understood why. But then as I saluted him to, to leave after my ass chewing, he goes, and by the way, you're not wrong. <laughs> but that's and, off the record. Yeah, that was definitely one of those off the record. <laughs> and I won't say his name to this day. I'm sure he's far, far retired, but... It doesn't matter. I salute him. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely. But then it was, then we were going to go invade Haiti. And I'm, I'm like, why operation restore democracy? Haiti's never, never in this history has Haiti, Haiti ever been a democracy. So we slap these names on these things and we send American troops in to go secure an interest. What's our interest in Haiti? I mean, Raul Cedrus was a bad guy. Well, are we going to go around killing and taking out every bad leader in the world? Well, apparently so, because that's all we've been doing since the end of World War II. Yeah, and then, when it coincides with an agenda, that's... And yeah. the real bad guys are the ones that are telling you that we got to go get the bad guys and that they are <laughs> committing human rights atrocities and that uh, they need some democracy and women's rights. And so, democracy. I, it's always so even then I had started to see it, but I was still like, okay. And I, you know, and I experienced Waco while in the military in the, that what happened at Waco, I didn't experience Waco, but I saw, you know, and I recognized the Delta operators that were there. I recognized the military tactics were there. I recognized what happened at Ruby Ridge. I'm go, I'm starting to say these things to myself. And I looked at Oklahoma City, which happened after right after I got out of the military. And I'm just watching and I'm watching and I'm watching. And I'm like, wow. And then I, 2007, I uh, got laid off from a career. I was doing design work actually, um, in a private design company, designing kitchens and, you know, bathrooms and things like that for high-end homes. And I got laid off when the housing bubble burst in 2007. And my brother who had been in law enforcement for some time at that point, he goes, Hey, you should go apply at the sheriff's office. They're hiring. And I went and I applied and, uh, made it through the, the physical testing. And I don't know how I was not in, in military fighting shape at that time. I'll tell you that it was some years later. And uh, made it through the psychological testing and finally got hired and started in uh, uh, January of 2009 was my start date. And so I spent a year waiting for that job. When I applied for that job, I was top 
and I tied for the top five applicants out of 280, almost 300 people. And it took me a year to get the, to start was how that's how many people applied and how tight the, the hiring process and how rigorous it was at the time. Can I, can I just jump in here? Absolutely. Well, if I say no, do you boot me? I'm going to jump in anyway. (laughs) Hold your thought if you were heading somewhere. I just, I'm, I'm interested to know, um, what is it, you know, you, you say you're, you were in, you were still in the army, you're still in training when you started realizing all these things and seeing them really for what they were, the Ruby Ridges and Waco, et cetera. So that's quite a challenge to one's mind and one's psyche. Um, and yet you were still able to go through this rigorous testing physically and mentally. Um, can I ask what it is that holds you you together as far as your psyche goes? What makes you a strong person in that way? Oh, gosh. Um... Is that a training thing or is it, are you a man of faith? What is it? One, I, I, I lived through some pretty rough stuff as a kid, you know, nothing where, you know, it wasn't like we were homeless or anything like that, but we definitely had what would be considered the epitome of a dysfunctional home. (laughs) There was, there was some alcoholism and some things like that. And so I had to grow up and mature very early and I learned to stand up for myself and what I believed in at a very young age. And, um, and that meant sometimes even going toe to toe with teachers as far back as sixth and seventh grade, when they would say something that I disagreed with. And, um, so I, I I just learned that just because someone's in a position of authority, apparent authority or presumed or assumed authority, that doesn't mean everything they say is right. Mm -hmm. And that you are entitled to disagree with them. And, not only entitled, but you have a duty if you disagree with them to, you know, tell them and even correct them. And so that meant, you know, teachers from, you know, when you're in school, it's teachers are kind of that presumptive authority outside of your parents. I mean, hopefully you're not having a massive amount of run-ins with law enforcement. And I've also always been, I, I dealt with a lot of bullying. Right. No idea why. Yeah. At at school, I dealt with a lot of bullying. I have no idea why. I just, it just started the day I started Mm -hmm. school, bullying started. Never normally makes much sense. Yeah. Right. It never does. And so I, you know, I had to fight for myself literally and physically and, you know, psychologically I had to fight for myself. And so. So that's been from a very young age. So therefore a, you've from, had a mind of, that's been strong yeah. from a very young age. It's... Well, hope, hopefully it's a strong mind. I don't, I don't feel it all the time, but. Um, well, from what I'm hearing, it's, you know, to go through all that and still, yeah, you've, you've got a strong mind. <laughs> and, and so, well, thank, thank you. Um, that's humbling actually. So it, it took a lot because there was a lot of cognitive dissonance happening yes and i'm like nope i committed to this i'm gonna you know i'm gonna get through my military engagement my my stint and i'm gonna get out and when i was getting out they were recruiting the special forces were recruiting people with my mos i was a communications guy plus i was also 
um, at the time was known as a combat lifesaver. I had several levels of training in medical, you know, basically be like an EMT. I wasn't a combat medic, but I was the guy on the field you wanted near you when the medics couldn't be there. So I was able to yeah. do triage and uh, do IVs and, and a little bit more advanced medical stuff. And so I wasn't just your average infantry guy. Uh, and so special forces, the green beret were heavily recruiting people like me and they were putting a lot of pressure on me. I'm like, I'm not getting out. I'm not staying in. I'm getting out. I cannot take the chance that Clinton gets another term in office. And because at the time I was, you know, was the Democrats were the problem in my mind and they were the ones that were causing this. And to some degree there was, there was a lot of truth to it. And so I got out and, you know, I went through my life and, you know, made some bad decisions, made some good decisions. Uh, lost the career that I was actually pretty decent at because of the downturn in the housing market, got hired by local sheriff's office. And I was probably about six months into that career, finally realized, okay, I'm, I'm going to survive this. I had an incredibly tough FTO and I, you know, I think, thank the good Lord for her. And, you know, faith is a part of my life. Um, it's not the same as it was when I first started my, my show in the sense of, I've realized there's a lot of problems with Christianity too, and it's blind what they, what it call, considers patriotism and the blindness of the church in the way they just wrongly quote a lot of things. And so I don't get along real well with a lot of Christians because they blindly quote a lot of things. And I, I hear you. And, and so I've had to stand my ground with churches. I've had to stand my ground with people and you know, so my faith has been an important part of where I'm at. I don't always express it properly because sometimes I use words I Christians would not mm -hmm. approve of. And yeah, what what is properly? Let's not let's not use properly. <laughs> well, you, you know what I mean. Yeah, you know, polite company, and uh, fundamentally. Yeah. And, and so I I I got through my training process with this FTO, and there again, I'm thank God for her because she was strong and she pushed me and she made me a better deputy. But I started to realize there was a major problem in the entire criminal justice system in the United States while I was training. And, and that, okay. And that, that, that was my question was yeah. when, when did things start seeming off? Like, did you begin this program having in mind already, like, uh, I believe in this system, like you were a believer, even though you had had some questions in the military, you go into this thinking like, I'm going to be helping people. I'm going to be saving people's lives sometimes, maybe hopefully making a difference. And then the illusion started to crumble or how did that kind of the, come about? The reason why it crumbled the way it did was because I did not go to the roads. I did not go out and do patrol and enforcement duties in that sense. I was part of the law enforcement community, but I was actually a sworn deputy and I was working inside of an adult detention center. And what I saw there was a criminal justice system that would throw a guy in jail for a non-criminal offense in the state of Minnesota of not paying his child support. Now, don't get me wrong. If you got babies, you got kids, the right thing to do, the manly thing to do is to take care of them, but it's not a criminal offense. And in Minnesota, it's, it's not a criminal offense, but it can still land you in jail. And I saw a guy from Florida that originally lived in Minnesota, got thrown in jail for $135,000 in back criminal or back child support. Now, 
the kicker was, is he had paid all of that, but he had been giving it directly to his daughter. But because he wasn't going through the proper channels, the state of Minnesota, the county, Olmstead County, Minnesota, considered him in arrears. And, and so since it was a criminal, he couldn't be extradited. And the reason he was paying it to his daughter is because he was giving the money to his ex-wife and she was going out and buying brand new cars, buying, you know, improvements to the house. His daughter would show up at his house and he, she would be in street, you know, dirty street clothes, raggedy clothes. So he had to buy her entire wardrobe for his house, had to buy her clothing and stuff for school. And then that stuff would not be, she wouldn't be allowed to take it to his house. And he would see her get dropped off in these brand new cars every six months or so. So he was actually funding his ex-wife and her escapades with all of her lovers and all of that stuff. He finally moved his business to Florida. His mom got sick and was dying. And he said, I have to go home. So he went to Minnesota to come see his mom died. And his ex-wife found out all these years later, years and years later, that he was going to be back in. She called and said, hey, so-and-so is going to be at such and such an address at such and such a time visiting his mom who's sick. And I know he has an active warrant for child support. And the deputies went, deputies went and arrested him on a child support warrant for $135,000, threw him in jail. And the county prosecutor in charge of prosecuting non-criminal activity of not paying child support told him, if I have it my way, you either pay this or you never get out of jail for the rest of your life. That's so disturbing. That's dirty. Was I'm that trying to, a... I'm trying to figure out what the advantage, like why, I'm sorry, I'm just... What's the advantage for these cops or whatever? Do they have some kind of gain out of this or is this a power trippy thing or I mean, Just like... do it. It, ultimately what it comes down to in a lot of these cases for a lot of the, for the, for the cops on this part of the, in the, in that end of the criminal justice system, what it comes down to is I'm just doing my job. Just doing what I'm told. I can't, I can't help it. It's a warrant. I have to do it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. And and to me, that's like literally, if, if you've never read the book Ordinary Men, which is about a, a German uh, reserve police battalion in, in at the beginning of World War II and the atrocities that they committed. Yeah, that's just following that orders. Just, they were just following orders and, and people were just covering up for them. And so my eyes started to, I saw guys, I saw criminal sexual predators directed at a particular type of person who is under the age of 18 and younger, trying not to get anybody banned. I saw people like that come in, be charged, and then be given six months probation. Yeah. But okay. a guy get arrested for marijuana. Sure, he had five pounds of it. I mean, so he had five pounds. Well, that's that's felony level possession of marijuana with intent to distribute a controlled substance in the state of Minnesota. The guy gets a hundred, you know, hundred and fifty thousand dollar bond if he's lucky, maybe more, and he's facing twenty five to thirty years in prison. So it was right away almost that you started seeing these discrepancies and disparities. And it just did not sit well with you. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. To say? And, and that was where the cognitive dissonance really started to kick. You know, like I'm, you know, I'm kind of buying the whole, oh, every cop's a hero. Everybody in law enforcement's a hero. You know, mil everybody in the military is a hero. And then I'm watching this stuff happen and I'm looking around me and I'm going, what am I taking part in? And at the time I, so fast forward a few years and I had actually started to go out 
going out and starting to do street ministry, public parks and stuff where I was sharing the gospel in, in the, in public, in numerous places, I had Christians call the cops on me. That's insane. Why? What was the justification? Yeah, that's what, Exactly. One one Why? was because I was I was preaching the gospel at an event that was being put on by a church in a public park, and I found I caught wind of it, and I had been listening to some of the messages from this church, and this guy was a complete heretic. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, and a complete heretic, and I'm like, it's a public park. I'm just going to go preach the gospel, and you would think even if he's even if he's marginally not okay, you'd still think he'd come over and introduce himself and say. Hey, I know uh, clearly you disagree with us, but let's have a conversation. Nope. They called mm. the cop. I had, before that happened, I had a guy walk up and threaten to beat me up because I was talking bad about his church and his pastor. He goes, <laughs> I, I, if you didn't have that camera on you, I'd kick your ass. Wow. I'm like, oh, that's nice. very Christ-like of you. And then they called Thanks, the cops brother. on me. Yeah. Then they called the cops on me. And, and this officer that showed up in this town of 18,000 people was, he was going to arrest me for disturbing the peace. He's like... <laughs> And being in, in, in uh, insulting people, I had cops called on me in a little town not twenty miles away from me. Cops just mm. numerous times went to a university, uh, University of Northern Iowa, it was about an hour and a half away from me at the invite of some kids from um, the Fellowship of Christian Athletes at this college. They invited me down there because of my mannerisms being different than some of the, you know, the kind of the weird, you know, hellfire and brimstone. Call everybody, you know you know, you fags are going to burn in hell kind of stuff. They call me down there. Cause that's not how I talk to people. And cops got called on me. The university cops came up and the Lieutenant, this female Lieutenant demanded my ID. And I'm like, I don't really feel comfortable giving you my ID. And she goes, well, in the state of Iowa, if you hold an ID, you have to give it to me. And I'm like, I don't know if I believe that I'm going to give this to you because remember at the time I'm a deputy and I'm going, I have to, I have a, to tow a very, narrow line here mm, mm. and stand up for myself, but be respectful. And she goes, why would you be hesitant to give me your ID? And I said, because I've had cops try to violate my constitutional rights before. And, and, and there's a short on my channel showing this very brief conversation with her. And she says this twice. She goes, I haven't violated your rights yet. <laughs> yeah. But she's ready. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. She said it twice back to back. I haven't violated your rights yet. <laughs> and so that's leading up into 2019. And I'd been, warning, in chamber. I'd been warning people, been warning people. I said, there's something coming. There's something coming. There's something coming. There's something coming. January of 2020 talk of COVID really starts to hit. And I'm like, folks, they are going to take everything you love away from you. Mm. And I was warning people. Co-workers were, we'd be working overnight shifts and I've had these fellow deputies come up and go, ah, you and your tinfoil hat crap. And I'm like, I'm telling you, sure, I'm, I'm telling you it's coming. It's absolutely coming. And I predicted it all. And I said, California, New York are going to go first. Minnesota is going to come in third and we're going to do everything that California does. They're going to lock you in your house. They're going to tell you that you can't go to work. They're going to tell you. And I, then I said, and then they're going to make you wear masks. He said, well, they're telling people right now not to wear masks. I said, they're going to order you to wear masks everywhere you go. And I said, we'll be wearing masks in this facility. They're going to change the rules about who can come into custody and who can't come in. All of a sudden now we can have standards about who can come to jail and who can't. Prior to that, it was everybody. Bring them all. Screw them all. Bring them to jail. Let God sort it out. Then all of a sudden it was like, well, we're not going to bring child support people to jail anymore. And unless it's a violent, 
uh, misdemeanor or gross misdemeanor, then we're going to, we're not going to bring them in. All of a sudden we didn't have to have jail only for the most, most violent and dangerous people amongst us. Most of them are in the white house. Touche Stella touche. And, uh, I'm telling people all these things, telling them everything is going to happen. And I said, and then, and then, and this was before Operation Warp Speed ever kicked off. I said, then they're going to try and force you to take the vaccine. And they're like, oh, come on. And that was beginning of February of 2020. And then all this stuff started to happen. And I had fellow deputies. I even had sergeants coming up to me going, how in the hell could you possibly know these things? I said, because I live with my eyes open. And I said, and you wait, cops are going to be very happy to enforce all of this stuff. And so we started getting internal memos from our sheriff saying, we're not going to be social distancing police. We're not going to be mask police. We're not going to be stay at home police. We're not going to be taking part in this officially. So I'm like, okay, hey, maybe, maybe we got a shot here. And so the lockdowns kept continuing in Minnesota. They kept going on and kept going on and kept going on. And on April 25th of 2020, I launched my channel, did a really Ben, if you watch my stuff now compared to then, you would be like, that's not the same guy. And I was recording on a GoPro and, you know, a GoPro 3 Plus. Like, I couldn't see anything. I was just like, everything's one take, bro, because I am not doing this all over again. So I did this little five, ten minute intro video, put it up on my channel, st started my channel that morning. And I drove up to St. Paul to go to a protest taking place in front of the governor's mansion. And uh, I started to do Ann on the Street interviews. And by the time I got home, I think I had 15 or 20 subscribers. And the next thing I know, my channel's starting to take off. I mean, I'm nowhere, I'm not even up to 3000 yet, but started to take off and started to get some attention. And I started to really call out the unconstitutional nature of the lockdowns of ordering people to wear masks, telling them they couldn't be, you know, they'd lose their livelihood. If you didn't want to wear a mask at a job, if you didn't, you know, to keep a job or all of that. And then the second round of lockdowns came down because in Minnesota, we called it dialing back. We had the governor kept talking about these dials. He was going to turn these dials and we're going to dial it back. I'm going to dial it back and basically grant you some more freedoms. Well, in the fall and winter of 2020, it got bad again. And they were ordering another round of lockdowns and business shutdowns. And there was a group of business owners in Minnesota that were going to stay open. They said, you know, we're, we're going to, you know, wave the middle finger at the governor and his, and his orders. We're going to stay open. And I caught wind of a lady about an hour away. Her name is Lisa Hansen. She owned a business called the Interchange Coffee and Wine Bistro. And I decided I was going to go over there and check it out because I wanted to interview her. She had no idea who I was. I just went in, saw that she was not order, having people wear masks, that she wasn't Were you in shut. uniform? Sorry to Oh, interrupt. no. I, none of the stuff that I did was okay. ever in any way, shape, or form connected to my work. And I decided I was going to go and check it out. I was really impressed. She was doing it. She was staying open. She wasn't making people wear masks. And the place was hopping. People wanted a business to go to. And well, I'm sitting there drinking a hot chocolate coffee thing. And this was in December of 2020. And eating a sandwich. I shouldn't have been eating because it was way too carby. And uh, <laughs> I break uh, the rules, break the I was rules. breaking my own rules. It does and, sound delicious and cozy. <laughs> yeah, it was. But while I was there, unbeknownst to me, she got served with paperwork from the Minnesota Department uh, of Public Safety from an investigator, basically ordering her shut her business down. 
And I missed all of that because I had, you know, at the time I'm like, I'm carrying my phone camera with me everywhere now, everywhere I go. I'm always got, you know, like if I'm going in someplace when I'm not going to wear a mask. And at this point, I'm not wearing a mask anywhere. My own time. I'm not wearing masks. I've got video after video after video of how I was treated by these these mask enforcement agents working in private businesses. And uh, I ended up inter- interviewing her. She and I and her husband, we became friends. I started to cover her story really well, and I really started to hone in. This lady got charged with nine criminal counts in the city, just from the city she lived in, because the prosecuting city attorney there had a... Um, excuse the terminology, had a hard on for shutting her down. Mm-hmm. And um, I really, really called them into account. The chief of police was in on it. He sent undercover uh, officers in to investigate a protest that she held. The state sent in undercover agents to a protest to gather evidence to charge her and anybody else they could charge for being a part of this protest. And I had video of all of this and I started to talk about it. And the city attorney of that city, Albert Lee, Minnesota, her name's Kelly Don Martinez and the chief of police, J.D. Carlson, caught wind of me talking about this stuff. And they turned me into the FBI and the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension trying to get me charged with crimes and then filed formal complaints against me with my employer after they used their positions and their authority to find out where I worked and what I did because it was never public. They used their positions of authority to track me down and they doxed me and uh, filed complaints. And on February 19th of 2021, I was called out from the housing unit I was supervising and by my sergeant to, and he escorted me out to go talk to the chief deputy, chief deputy, Brian Howard at the time, who told me, I, I walked in, I said, do I need my union rep? And folks, I'm not a real big union guy, but I'll tell you right now, good officers, good officers, good deputies, good cops actually need a good union because this is what they do to you. They make an example of you if you if you stand on your oath and take it seriously. Right. And so can I just intervene there just for a absolutely. moment? Absolutely. Um, in this state, Minnesota, so because the protests and the mandates were not laws, as from my understanding, they were not laws. So they, they are acting like they're laws. I mean, this mm-hmm. is the same here as well in Australia. It was all the same. I'm just trying to ask you specifically. Yep. So how, what did they charge this lady and, and yourself as well? I mean, what, what were the charges and, and later on did those charges stand? Lisa was charged with violating a, an executive order. She was violated with public nuisance or charged with violating uh, public nuisance ordinances in the town that she lived in. And she eventually was in December of 2021, she was placed on trial and was convicted because because they would not allow her in her she was uh pro se so she was defending her own attorney she was her own attorney Mm -hmm. they would not allow her to talk about the constitution of the state of minnesota or the constitution of the united states she was forbidden from bringing up the constitution in her trial how is that even a thing yeah right you want to know their justification was is because she wasn't a constitutional law scholar and so, so it's always such a weak argument, isn't it? Yeah, it, that's and and I was I was summoned by the state, by this prosecuting attorney to be a witness against Lisa. And because she wanted she didn't want me called as a witness for Lisa. So she called me as a witness for the state. And then when I got there, she said, by the way, 
you're not going to be allowed to bring up the Constitution in your testimony either. And I'm like, then why am I here? And she goes, because I wanted you here. So this is what the whole law system is supposedly based on. That was an yeah. eye roll there, by the way. Um, I can hear so, it. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so, so it's what's supposedly based on, yet you can't bring it up. That's insane, isn't it? Oh, it's, I mean, it, yeah. And, <laughs> it's just, and this, but I, can they justify that? I think it goes to the whole COVID thing, though. It all was insane. Every yeah, bit of yeah. it. It was like, if this country is founded on the Constitution, the First Amendment was violated over and over and over mm. and over and over again. And saying, telling people that they're not allowed to meet and have discussions and have protests, like it from the whole start. It's it, all under this executive order rubbish, which is only in the event of a pandemic. And it's like, yeah, I mean, they just well, tried to draw it yeah. out. It all just, it's so baseless, isn't it? I'm the really, biggest, the biggest problem that. with the, the biggest problem with the executive order issue is that executive orders really only apply to the executive branch and they can order the executive branch to do things, but those things cannot technically be extended to the general populace. Okay, so can you just sorry, can you just um, explain what the executive branch is to so in the just, United just pretend States, I don't know. Right. So in the United so in the US we have we have three branches of government and contrary to popular belief, they are supposed to be separate but equal. You're, everybody goes, No, the courts are supposed to be superior. The courts are not supposed to be superior. The courts are supposed to have no more and no less power than anybody else. And so you have the you have the justice branch, you have the legislative branch. So the justice branch obviously is the courts. They oversee, primarily are supposed to oversee whether or not things are constitutional or not constitutional. That's supposed to be their number one goal. Then you have the legislative branch, which is supposed to write the laws, codes, ordinances, and statutes. statutes, And they're supposed to be doing those things based on whether or not it's constitutional. And then you have the executive branch, which is supposed to enforce the laws that that are passed or codes, ordinances, whatever you want to call them. And they're supposed to enforce them based on whether or not they're constitutional. Thank and you what for clearing that up. <laughs> and, and so what we've had in this in this triumvirate of of rule is all three of the branches, which are supposed to be standing on the Constitution, have all sidestepped the Constitution in so many cases that now you can't find anybody that's willing to stand on the Constitution. They all swear an oath to it, and they all have qualified immunity in the United States. In other words. Mm. We're protected from damages if we violate your constitutional rights. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, and this can be a whole other, yeah, this, uh, this, honestly, this, pod yeah. in and of itself in the details. What I want us to get to is, is what happened to me, the culmination of what happened yeah. to you. Yes. And, that's, and that all ties into, I mean, my channel. I mean, the very first time that I was ever talked to about any of my content goes back to the weekend of the very, of the first round of the George Floyd events. The mayor of Rochester, Minnesota, is very far left activist named Kim Norton, stood on the steps of the Rochester and Olmstead County Government Center and said very boldly in front of a crowd of people that were looking for a reason to riot. Well, while Minneapolis and St. Paul had started to burn, these people were looking to burn the third largest city in the state of Minnesota. And that's where I worked was in that jurisdiction. The mayor stood stood on the steps of that building and said, it's time for minorities and, and other people of color to feel safe at the hands of law enforcement in in Rochester and Olmstead County. And I heard that very specifically because I was I was working that night and I was in a position where I was able to monitor a lot of stuff that was going on. And I heard her say this. And so on my way home that morning, I did a video 
as I was driving home saying public servants, elected public servants, you need to choose your words carefully because they can have a very negative impact. And you need to be very careful how you talk to people and the way you influence them. And so I said that and I got talked to that night by the chief deputy. He said, well, there's some people concerned about your content. And I went down this list with him and I said, did I do this? Did I do this? Did I do this? Did I do this? And he said, no, I said that I haven't violated any policy. Why are we having this conversation? Detailed that entire conversation in an email to him, sent it about five days later and asked for some feedback. I never got any feedback other than about two weeks after I sent the email, he sent me an email saying he'd get together with me in person when I was back on day shifts, never got back together with me. So I just went back about my business because I hadn't done anything wrong. And he told me I didn't do anything wrong and even said he agreed with me. And the only thing that he gigged me on was, well, you did it while you were driving. And that's technically a violation of the distracted driving law. And I said, you know what, Chief Deputy, we'll make sure that never happens again. (laughs) Okay, guy. Yeah. And so fast forward to February 19th of 2021, I get called out there and I said, do I need my union rep? And he said, no. I don't think so. And I said, okay. And he goes, well, here, I have a formal disciplinary step notice for you. And I said, you're going to have to excuse me, chief. I need to go get my cameras. I went and got my cameras out of my locker, set them up, and I recorded the entire conversation. And it's on my YouTube channel. Wow. Good for you. And, that takes some uh, cojones right there. And <laughs> I, I have him in that video telling me that policy is clear. And then me saying, can we get back together now and talk about this? Because this is an infringement on my first amendment rights as a private citizen. He said, well, I'm going to have to go talk to some other people because policy can be debated. Beginning of the conversation, he says it's clear. And that's why he never (laughs) followed up with me before tail end of the conversation. He says he has to go get some counsel because policy can be debated. I have this on, on video and I'll, I'll shoot you the link so that you can share it with the, with your audience. Yes, we'll put that in the show notes for sure. And uh, then I asked for clarification because I'm at this point, I'm being invited to go speak at events with Republican candidates, with Republican office holders, with other people. I'm being invited to go speak at events. And I'm like, now, am I allowed to go speak at, an ev- at events? Mm, you sort of need, I mean, you've obviously like, been pretty good with a paper trail. So Yeah, so I'm sending these emails out. And so on February 24th, I get... Sarge calls me up. He goes, Hey, chief's got your chief deputy's got your, uh, clarification for you and and the answers to your questions. Let's go talk to him. I walk out there and he goes, here's your clarification. And you're being ordered to take down this video, this video, this video, this video, and this video. And by the way, you're also now under internal investigation. Whoa. And that was February 24th of 2021. They put me under internal investigation. They kept me on duty. That's what I was going to ask. 60 days. 60 days. They paid a private attorney 200 or more dollars an hour for 60 days to investigate me. Pulled me in in front of her, put me under in in the United States, what's referred to as Garrity. In other words, I can be asked any question. I have to answer it honestly, and they cannot use it against me in a criminal court because they knew they had nothing on me criminally. And so all they were really trying to do was come up with something to try and get rid of me because they didn't like the fact that I was standing on my oath. And at the end of the internal investigation, they put me out finally on administrative leave um, of April 30th. And 
they kept me out for the entire summer after sending me an intent to terminate two weeks after, after they put me on administrative leave and my union attorney was going ballistic. He's in fact, I, he actually, you, I actually had done a bunch of research and handed it over to him and he goes, you don't even need me. He says, you're going to actually, you're, you could take this to the, to the Supreme court on your own. He says, he says, I'll do it. But he goes, you don't need me. This is ridiculous. You have them. It's over such a barrel. And yeah, you only, you only really needed him for his uh, framed piece of paper on his wall. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, long story short, they told me that they called me in for another meeting to get for us to give a defense. And there's so much more to this, but for us to give a defense as to why I shouldn't be terminated. And my attorney said, we're going to do something here that I've never done before. My client's going to speak for himself in this meeting. He says, because you guys are wrong we'll push this. If you really want us to, we'll push this all the way to the Supreme court because it might be a five to four decision. More than likely it'll be an unanimous decision. You're going to lose and you're going to owe him his job back. And, and you have to pay him the entire time because he's a veteran. So you yeah. can fire him, but you still got to pay him. And I ultimately I had to, I came to an awakening during that time. I could never go back to work for this sheriff. I could never go back into the law enforcement world because I was seeing what it was doing to good people, actual good people. They were getting, they were getting forced out. The good guys were getting forced out. And then the silent ones who weren't necessarily what you would call a bad cop weren't being messed with because they just weren't rocking the boat. Yeah. And, 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 and bad good, cops good, are being rewarded. Good men stand by and do, doing nothing. Yeah. Are not good. Yeah. And I did hear that the, as part of a theory, right, that, you know, the lockdown served so many purposes, but one of them was to get people out of law enforcement that would not uh, enforce just random, you know, executive order tyranny. Yes. Um, That it it was. But you saw it all over the U.S. All over. And I know, I mean, obviously things are a little different in Australia. But all over the U.S., you saw moms in parks in Idaho getting arrested for playing in a public park. You saw a guy paddleboarding in California on a closed beach. wasn't closed because there were sharks in the water. wasn't closed because there was a you know some sort of warfare happening. It was closed because of COVID, and he got arrested for being by himself in a paddleboard in the ocean. Yeah. We saw cops arresting business owners all over the United States. My friend Lisa was thrown in print, was imprisoned for keeping her business open. Who did that? That stuff happened in Australia too. Yep. Who did cops did that? Cops did cops did that. And that's the thing. People have to wake up and understand all of these things. You can blame the politicians. You can blame anybody. You, You can blame your mayor. You can blame your County commission. You can blame your governor. You can blame your legislator. You can blame your attorney general, but ultimately none of them can do a goddamn thing. If it isn't for a person with a gun and a badge representing the state, yeah, that's it's the threat it. of Coming, violence. The threat of violence. The threat of violence. The monopoly. The it monopoly is the monopoly on violence. on violence. That is it. Yes. And if you um, resist, you will die. That's it. Yes. And and we all know that now. And and they're getting ready to do it to us again. Yes. Except the difference is, is that ninety eight percent of the people that are left in law enforcement now will not rock the boat. And I say that with a heavy heart because I have friends that have not spoken to me now in years. I have a brother who 
who's this, my same brother who thinks I hate him because he's a cop and I don't, I just hate what's become of the criminal justice system. And I believe the institution of policing has, has become corrupted and it does corrupt people. Even if they're not actually yes. doing corrupt things, they're not speaking out against the corruption publicly. Correct. And one of my issues, like one of the most basic arguments that I can make is that if you know, that these people are part of a corrupt institution, even if they are trying to do the right thing. If you toe the line for civil asset forfeiture, if you toe the line for putting people in jail for weed, then then you are complicit, period. If you toe the line, if you're going to because I didn't pay my taxes and you're going to come and arrest me for that, That's you are complicit, Funny. period. It's funny that you say that because in my original disciplinary document, one of the things that I got disciplined for was saying publicly on my Facebook channel and or my Facebook page, which is, has subsequently been yeeted from the face of the world by Facebook. Um, and on my YouTube channel is saying that if you don't pay your taxes, men with guns and badges will come to your house and arrest you and imprison you. That's it. That. They said that was disrespectful to the to my agency and to the law enforcement world for referring to them as men with guns. Oh, okay. Gosh. Well, it's also a fact. <laughs> and, and that saying taxes and fees and assessments are bonus taken by the threat of force. Yeah. And it's also punitive yeah, totally. to the poor. They if you can pay a fee, if you can pay a fee as like a uh, a wealthy person, but you can't as a poor person for the same thing, then it's a tax. And as you said, as we all said here, the threat of violence against the poor. Um, so we have, and so I'm, I, we, I'm without, I'm out, I'm without a career that I was actually really good at. I had stellar reviews, stellar ratings. And I actually loved help. Like you said, I actually was making an effort to help people on a daily basis. And uh, I, I lost a career for standing on the oath that I took and was labeled a radical. And they, like I said, they tried to get me in trouble with the, with the federal Bureau of investigation, tried to sick the FBI on me. And they tried to sick the Minnesota Cur Cur Bureau of criminal apprehension on me. And, um, because I was saying no enough is enough. And because you were standing up and being a good man. And that's just a reflection of the state of this planet, this world, yep. we are Agreed. in an evil regime. Agree. You know, if you if you can't see that by now, you definitely have taken something that's. I don't your know brain. if there's hope for someone who can't see it now. <laughs> well, there's always hope, but you know they've got to they've got to want it. Um, but you know, Ephesians six twelve, it's principalities of the air. We we are fighting a spiritual war here. You know? Well, and that's I, I'm you don't glad even have you... to be a Christian or or a religious person to really see yeah. that. Look at James Lindsay; he calls it out all the time. You know, I got a I've got a a gay libertarian-minded conservative friend named Josh Slocum hosts a show called Disaffected. He quotes the Bible more than most Christians <laughs> do. Yeah. And and it's, his show is amazing. But, um, you know, I, I'm going to bring this up quick, and I know we have to wrap up, and we can try and schedule, you know, if you guys ever want ever want to hear more in-depth detail. Oh, absolutely. About what, what I definitely want to schedule to more parts to this. Yes. Um one of the places that I really started to beat up on churchianity in the United States was their, 
they're clinging to Romans chapter 13. Oh, we've got to obey the ruling authorities in first Peter chapter <laughs> yeah. two. You know, we have to obey the king. And, you know, Paul wrote Romans when he was in prison and, you know, and I'm like, right. But what's the key? What's the key there? Okay. For those, those Normicon conservative Christians, you know, like I said, churchianity who, who justified complying with everything they were told to comply with, who justify with licking the boots of every cop that they see. They, they use Romans 13 and first Peter chapter two. And they say these things, and I said, but what's the key of those verses? That God has appointed these, these people to be ministers of his justice to do good and punish evil. When these people are no longer doing good, but are doing evil and punishing good, you are no longer obligated to be obedient to them because you read Romans chapter 13 to say you have to obey the government. That's never been the that's never been the perspective of the church ever. The church has never had that perspective. That's a modern thing foisted on us to keep us as Christians in line. Mm -hmm. It's it's yep. all it is yep. across the world. When you when you hear that translation, I don't care how well respected your person, your, your pastor or the voice might be. Read that again. They're God's ministers of justice to do good and to punish evil. And when they're doing the opposite, they're, they're wrong and you don't have to obey them. And in the United States, the highest authority in this land is not the president. The highest authority is not the legislature. The highest authority is not the, the Supreme Court. It's the Constitution. And so you are to be obedient to the Constitution because for Christians, the Constitution is what God has appointed to rule over you as a nation, not the men and women that make up those other branches. And when they're doing things that violate that, they're enemies of God and they're enemies of the nation. And you have a duty, you have a duty to rebel against that. Yeah, well said. Yep, very well said. Okay, so I... We have barely scratched the surface on what you have to say on your story, but I do feel like we have at least laid the groundwork of what was your path, um, what started to wake you up, and then what took you to where we are at now. So I... We did cover how people can get in touch with you at the beginning of the show, but if you just want to reiterate where they can find you, how they can reach out to you, um, then go ahead and do that for us. Um, if you want to reach out to me personally, you can uh, email me, um, mbrrpodcast at yahoo.com. You can find me on Twitter at Robe Regiment. Strongly thinking about circumventing the powers of be at Facebook and trying to find a way to get it presence there again because i have people asking for it but um you can also find me on youtube minnesota black robe regiment uh minnesota black robe regiment all one word on rumble uh, i have a getter but getter's boring um i'm sorry it just is um never been on it must be boring it's yeah it's boring well stella's not on there <laughs> never even heard should of anybody it. be on there um i also have a discord server uh and I also have a subscribe star. So, you know, I did, I gave up, I lost a lot. I, I lost a, 
I lost a lot, folks. And to be honest with you, it's it's not easy. You know, I I I don't make a hat. I don't make half of what I was making. So anytime tell anybody anytime somebody tells you cops need to be paid more money because they don't make enough for what they do, I'm telling you right now, they make good money. And when you get forced out, you realize just how much money you're not making anymore. Yeah. And it's very, very difficult for a person like me to get a job when they go, well, where were you working before? What's the sheriff's office? Why aren't you there? Um, Yep. Oh, you're one of those troublemakers. No, we are not interested. And so I happen to find a job, but it's not paying me even half of what I was making before. So things are tight for TC. So if you're interested in supporting me, you can find my uh, subscribe star Mm -hmm. at um, Minnesota Black Road Regiment podcast on subscribe star. So, yes, yes, I will have that uh, link. Sorry. Go ahead. It's it's certainly impacted a lot of people. My life's completely changed um, post 2020 for a number of reasons, partly from COVID and partly also from AI. But that's a whole other story. But um, yeah, no, it's been it's been great chatting to you tc thanks well, a lot i, for I really appreciate you guys making time for me and i'd like i said i'd really like for you guys to uh, get you guys in touch with my uh associate dana from yeah the, yeah that sounds awesome curtain. yep for sure we'd love to have her on and um i'd like to pick this up where we sort of were get heading there for um a little bit towards the end there with the um the juicy details i yeah. didn't even tell you all the good stuff yeah, we, we, oh, yeah. we have a lot more to talk about and I'm, I'm also interested to hear about uh the minnesota black robe regiment where that name came from but oh, that's, that's probably a good good one to start off with the next episode perhaps yeah so. part we'll two actually make notes because i'll forget oh i'm all over it yep. <laughs> don't even worry about it i see She's you writing just like our pod mother ashley's good oh yeah that. <laughs> i'm all Thank over gosh. it don't worry um okay great so all of the ways for them to get in touch with you and to support you and to find all the amazing work that you have done is going to be in our show notes and i as Stella said, thank you so much for joining us, taking the time to start this story with us. And we definitely want to uh, have, you know, more information uh, that that we put out. So we will plan that, schedule that. Um, In the meantime, I am Ashley signing off for another episode of the Union of the Unknowns. You can find us at unionoftheunknowns.com. That's our link tree page. And you can find all the ways to get in touch with us. And uh, please feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, we'd love to know what you think about this episode. And please also consider supporting TC and certainly checking out his work. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Bye. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of Union of the Unknowns. You can find new episodes every week on all your favorite podcasting networks.